Okay, man. This is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. Cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Show the world that you're tougher than tough. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Want to be protected from opinions you don't like? Then you better go somewhere else. Because this is not a safe space. This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. You know, over the past, I don't know, seven months or so, much of what we just thought of as normal has gone out the window. Remember eating in a crowded restaurant or how about shaking hands? Remember that? That seems like a lifetime ago. Anyway, we're also seeing some restraints on government being set aside, to put it nicely. Do emergency times like this warrant that? I'm Mike Ferguson. Thank you for staying with us on American Viewpoints. I'm joined now by Luke Wake. He's with the Pacific Legal Foundation. He's one of their attorneys. And an op-ed that he just wrote is uh, asking some questions that I suspect a lot of people are a little uncomfortable talking about. And the title of the op-ed is Why Governors Shouldn't Have Unchecked Emergency Powers. First of all, Luke, thank you so much for the time. And let me start with one of the basic questions, the fundamental questions. A lot of people are just scared right now. So are, is there any reason that a governor should be able to act extraordinarily, I mean, just outside the normal day-to-day scope of their office? Well, emergencies happen sometimes. I'm, I'm in California, so we have forest fires out here. I've lived back east, and we have hurricanes back there. And, you know, there's riots and all sorts of things that can happen, and the state needs to be prepared to address those. The legislature certainly cannot respond in real time to direct evacuations and that sort of thing. But it should you know, anticipate the need for the state to do those sort of things. And, and, and appropriately, most states have passed statutes, emergency management or service acts that, that authorize a, a range of possible, you know, actions for the, the executive branch, for the governor to take during an emergency situation. And I, I argue in this editorial that, that all of that is very reasonable and appropriate. But uh, it becomes a problem when the legislature, uh, as opposed to saying that the governor can do X, Y, and Z, and you know, very specifically, um, you know, enumerating the, the their specific powers in a, in a in a definite way, if instead they give a blank and an unbridled uh, power to the governor to do whatever he thinks is reasonable or appropriate in his his estimation, because at that point. Uh, the law, the, the legislature has ceded uh, its, its proper role. It has handed over lawmaking powers to the governor and under our separation of powers, but this is true at the federal level, but also true in the state constitutions as well, that the lawmaking branch is the legislature and they cannot give away that lawmaking power. And so it becomes a real problem when we see these extraordinarily broad delegations of power uh, to the governors throughout the country. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing a lot of is a lot of just stroke of the penned law of the land to bring back a phrase from the 90s uh, where an executive order from either the governor or from the Department of Health under the order of the governor uh, saying everybody must, for instance, um, wear a mask. And if you don't, you could be fined or even put in jail or that all businesses must be shut down or whatever the case is. Um, is, Is that something, I mean, it seems to me that if you're threatening jail time or fines, that that actually should be deliberated in a legislature, um, but we've got simply one person, the governor, no matter who he or she is in some states, 
saying, I'm going to write the criminal law. Uh, I'm going to issue it because it's an emergency. And if you violate what I said personally, then you could be arrested and put in jail. Is there any place for that under the guise of a pandemic or any kind of uh, emergency? Well, the, I think the answer is when we're talking about criminal violations, the court should be all the more um, scrutinizing when it comes to the sort of issues I, I'm talking about here. Uh, but to be clear, I, I would argue that um, it's a violation of the non-delegation doctrine, this idea that the legislature cannot give away its lawmaking powers to anyone else, um, even for the, the governor just to issue, you know, purely, um, you know, purely regulatory matters. But the fact of the matter is these emergency management or emergency service statutes throughout the country, um, almost all of them, all of them that I've seen anyways, say basically as a, th there's a penalty prescribed for violating an emergency order and that that penalty um, usually is, is a monetary penalty but also um, usually a misdemeanor so there's criminal liability there and, and I would argue in the context of where there's criminal liability there's uh, the court should be even more um, even more willing to uh, you know, set aside the governor's actions and, and, and to you know protect the, uh, the the separation of powers and should, they should be more scrutinizing for that reason um, and, and, you know, it, this is, by the way, you know, it's, it's, this is happening all across the country. It's not, um, it's not like, you know, any one governor is, is, is being called out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm calling out a lot of what we're seeing um, as these governors continue to micromanage the economy and, and our personal lives as well. Well, in California, where you are even, uh, there was an order to shut down churches, which Republicans and Democrats both have done that across the country. But in California, there's even been orders from the governor that the churches and uh, synagogues and other houses of worship aren't allowed to sing, um, restricting how many people can show up. Are, are we getting into First Amendment constitutional issues at that point? Yeah, there definitely are First Amendment issues there. Um, I tend to think that the, the strongest, the best way to go about challenging these orders is by raising separation of powers arguments. Um, I think those are the strongest in most cases. And the reason I say that is because the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court's decision in a case called Jacobson versus Massachusetts from, I believe, 1905, said that um, when it comes to someone invoking their you know, constitutional rights, um, you, can, you can invoke your constitutional rights, when you, um, but when it comes to um, state action responding to an epidemic, in that case, specifically legislative action requiring someone to actually get a vaccine, uh, the courts basically said in Jacobson that, that they're going to be extremely deferential. Um, now we can argue about how deferential they ought to be. I would I would argue that uh, you know when it comes to you know raising First Amendment claims or something like that, that, that the court should still apply a strict scrutiny and require. Um, you know, there's certainly a compelling government interest. I, I would imagine um, for for the government to satisfy strict scrutiny. But the question often in those cases is whether or not um, the government could achieve its same objectives through a less burdensome, um, more narrowly tailored standards the way the courts talk about it. Um, but the bottom line, honestly, when it comes to those sort of claims is that people are raising them and they're, and they're losing. Um, there may be some exception out there, but I, I consistently see uh, people raising those kind of claims and losing. Um, but I, I think they're, they're much more likely to have success if they are invoking you know, the separation of power sort of concepts, um, because those are clearly ingrained. And the, and the beauty of arguing about separation of powers is you're not saying, and I'm certainly not saying that the state can't, you know, impose reasonable regulation uh, to protect public health and safety. They can, uh, and, and frankly, they probably have a responsibility to do that. But the question is, you know, what is a reasonable regulation? And, and, re and reasonable minds can disagree about that. But 
those sort of debates should happen in a deliberative and transparent um, process with, with our elective representatives. Um, you know, I keep talking to, you know, folks here in California, you know, fitness center owners, for example, who cannot operate, um, at least cannot operate indoors. And they say things to me like, if, if I, if I don't like the way the state is treating me, I know how to get in touch with my legislator and talk to them about the regulation I face, but I don't know how to get in touch with the governor and they're not going to the governor's cocktail parties. So it's, it really is problematic um, that, that the rules on a continuing basis are happening, uh, you know, coming from one man or woman. Um, I, that's the very definition of autocracy, by the way, it's, it's, you know, a single person making all with all with power, total power to make all the rules. And that's actually what a number of these governors are asserting. It's, um, it's very concerning, especially given the fact that, you know, as you noted, we're already several months into this. The, the, I think the first case of Corona was confirmed by the CDC over six months ago now. And um, there's no end in sight. In fact, Newsom said, Governor Newsom here in California said on Friday, uh, basically affirmed that he's going to continue to micromanage the economy in our lives through emergency powers, um, unless and until there's a vaccine. And we can all hope that that happens quickly, but um, it, could, it could be a very long time if it happens at all. Okay, Luke, uh, for people to follow what you're doing, Pacific Legal Foundation, what, social media or website, best way to do it? Yeah, pacificlegal.org, check us out. And we've got um, you know, a lot of um, you know, great materials up there talking about the cases we're litigating for, for liberty throughout the country, um, as well as you can find us on Facebook and social media as well. All right, thank you so much for the time, Luke. Appreciate the perspective. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a nice day. We'll hang around to hear about one of the stranger arguments being made during this time of unrest. I'm talking about the violence now. An author gets national attention for her claim that looting is actually okay, that, that there's little or nothing wrong with it. I'm being serious here. A national network took this idea seriously. We're going to talk about it too, just ahead on American Viewpoints. This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. Connect with us on Facebook and be part of the discussion all week long. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. You care for the house, the kids, and our future. A Shiro's day is never done. So let's start saving a little more now. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings. Visit aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.